glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. Ephesians chapter 6, we'll start reading in verse 10. We're very familiar with the, the, these verses. We begin reading verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand uh, having done all to stand, stand therefore, verse 14, having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye should be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Many times we stop reading right there because we've dealt with the whole armor of God at this point. But you'll see there's a semicolon, and he says in verse 19, And for me, so while you're praying for all saints, pray specifically for me. And here is his prayer request, That utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. If you see verse 21, that's why I've entitled it a prayer letter from Paul. He says, but that you also may know my affairs and how I do. Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, shall make known to you all things, so on and so forth. So he ends the chapter saying, I've also written to you that you may know my affairs, how I'm doing. But before he declares to them his affairs, how things are going in his ministry, he says, I have a very specific prayer request from you as a church. As a missionary, I don't know, outside of the Lord Jesus Christ, we don't have a better pattern in the New Testament for what a missionary is than the Apostle Paul. He and Barnabas were the first ones sent, later accompanied by Silas. He took those three missionary journeys, traveling all over, preaching the gospel. His primary prayer request was that he would keep his sole purpose, the sole purpose. What a missionary does is he preaches the gospel. As we would understand, as Paul writes this, he's in bonds, and yet he says, I want you to pray for me that the gospel may go forth, I may speak it as I ought to speak, preach it as I ought to preach. And so with that in mind, why I would title it again, A Missionary Letter from Paul, I want us to see the connection between verses 10 on down through 18 and verses 19 and 20 and the connection between a strong spiritual church and the furtherance of the gospel through those who represent us in other places. You may be seated. We're going to look at four things this morning in this text that comes from uh, the Apostle Paul will start in verses 19 and 20. We'll work our way back to the spiritual armor uh, aspect of this. But we've just, had, we've just had our missions conference. We use the term missions, and we're living in a time where we understand mission is, a, uh, it is the fulfillment of a co-mission. So you go out with an objective. And so if we say missions today, if you're a Bible-believing person, that ought to be synonymous with preaching the gospel. Uh, preaching the gospel, because the word missions is not used in the Bible. The word commission is not used in the Bible. We talk about the great commission because it's what the Lord Jesus Christ said to do prior to leaving this earth, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. 
baptizing them uh, in the name of the go you therefore go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Matthew twenty eight nineteen. Go you therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Lord, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. And today, missions can be in the mind of some synonymous with simply doing some physical thing for people. While we're not against that, let me be very clear. Not against providing water wells. We're not against providing glasses or dental work or all the, if that, that's fine and good. In fact, very helpful. Many times that's what opens the door to preach the gospel. But those things are not the goal. They are simply a means to obtain the goal and that is to preach the gospel. And so when we have a missions conference, it ought to be a fresh reminder that we are about the business when it comes to the world. We're about the business of preaching the gospel. That's what Bonner's Ferry Baptist Church is about in our community. That is our primary purpose is to preach the gospel. For those who have not believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, to hear the truth concerning who he is, what he's done, what he has power to do because he lives, that's our business here and it's our business overseas. We are the pillar and ground of the Truth, the truth of the gospel. And then when people believe the gospel, we go on to continue to preach and teach them how to obey and serve the one who saved them. And that's, that's what a church exists to do. When Paul established the Ephesian church, it is, it's, it's as though in Ephesians 6, he is trying to help them get their spiritual focus tuned in. How many know we need help with that on a regular basis? Getting our spiritual focus tuned in. And so at the end of his letter, he says, Finally, my brethren. So I have some final things to say to you. You know as well as I do, many times we make this statement, last but not least, because last is often because it has some significance to it. And this church, the church of the Ephesians, that Paul had been responsible for planting, he is now ministering to them teaching them to observe the commandments of the Lord. And he's going to challenge them along some lines. And he's going to remind them of the objective in his life. So our first point, if you're taking notes, and I hope that perhaps you are, is the objective of missions is put forward. What a perfect time for us to observe this this morning. I prayed about another message today, Lord, and give me peace to that end. This is one I'd considered a prior to missions conference bringing to you. I believe the Lord wants us to hear this today. Uh, because we come out of a missions conference, we heard a lot of instruction during our conference on being spiritually strong. Much of the, many of the messages in our conference this year had not to do with the very subject of missions. They dealt with some other issues like how to be spiritually strong, how to listen to the Lord, and how to, uh, how to respond to God's leadership in our life. And I believe that has to do with the same thing that's going on here. Before Paul will deal with the objective of missions, he's just laid out some things that will keep these people spiritually standing in a world of adversity. I don't know about you, last time I checked, the verses that are there in Ephesians 6.10 about wrestling not with flesh and blood, but with the spiritual wickedness in high places, principalities and powers... Those verses are very applicable to the time in which we live, as much as they were a couple thousand years ago. That to believe what we believe today, to hold to what we know is true, you will do so under duress and pressure to abandon the things we know that is true. You cannot imagine the level of pressure placed on those who teach and preach the Word of God to compromise the belief that we have a Bible that we can trust wholeheartedly. The pressure to abandon that one point alone to abandon the belief that you can pick up this old King James Bible and trust every word without questioning, is it really from God? There is a tremendous amount of pressure from peers to say, you can't believe that. I say peers, they're not 
peers of mine, but they are and that they claim they're preachers, supposedly. Supposedly people who hold... So there's a tremendous pressure to abandon the very belief that God's words are still with us in a way that we can know they're His words. We are pressured to take the common belief, and you heard about this much. Do you think it's on accident we heard much about holding to the inerrancy of Scripture in our missions conference? So was this, an, was this a Bible conference or a missions conference? They're inseparable. We'll never continue the work of preaching the gospel if you're not confident that the gospel you preach came from God. Once you open your mind to a fallible scripture, you're on a slippery slope upon which you'll never return. Once you learn to question the words of this book, where does it stop? If I say, well, I think a better rendering over here, or this is not right over here, where does it stop? The modern-day Bible translators show us it doesn't. They've questioned everything from the virgin birth to the infallibility of Scripture to the deity of Jesus Christ in the way they translate new, new Bibles. There is no end to where it stops. And so either God is God enough to give us His Word where we can trust it, and you can have all kinds of arguments against that. That's why I say you would not believe the amount of pressure. I have been, I've been challenged, as many of you have been, on a number of occasions to not believe that I can trust this Bible this perfect Bible I hold my hand, this King James Bible, to question and say, you cannot believe that all of that, God's words are not preserved there from every human reasoning standpoint you can think of. But I've never been challenged to abandon that position from the Bible itself. Neither in the pages that I read or in those who preach it. I've never had an opponent of believing infallible scripture take the Bible and prove to me I should believe that the Bible is not inerrant. Why, why, what does this have to do with this morning? I'm telling you, there's a pressure on you, a pressure on us as a church to abandon things that Jesus Christ, our Savior, said are true in order to conform with a culture and a world that's anti-Christ. And Paul says, if I, as a missionary, am going to accomplish my objective, preaching the gospel, I need you to hold the ropes back home. I understand Ephesus was not his sending church, but it was a church with which he had regular contact. It was a church that was a source of strength and support. Let me just say this in a very practical way. The gentleman who came and, and served and ministered with us both made comments about the encouragement this church gave to them while they were here because of the faithfulness of those who came and made it a priority to be here and the attentiveness to the Word of God and the attitude there was among that they perceived among the people. How sorrowful would it be for those same men to be invited back in five years and find that we no longer believe the Bible can be trusted completely. That we are more attuned to the culture's attitude toward us than the attitude of Christ toward us. I just am trying to establish this morning there is an objective in missions and Paul deals with that in verses uh, 19 and 20 and then we'll come back to the operation of missions and the opposition to missions and then the outcome of missions, just a refresher course this morning on what missions is all about, and perhaps helping us as a church to be able to take some things we heard last week and some things that God has been putting before us prior to our missions conference and to see that this church still does have a mission in the world. It's very simple. Uh, Our missionaries still have a mission in the world. It's very simple. But we, again, have a refresher course here today. So let's address the objective of missions. This is very simple in verses 19 and 20. Paul says this, In verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And it gets very specific. And for me, I, the preacher who came through, 
preached to you, you believe the gospel, helped you establish as a church, you pray for me. What's his prayer? That utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. And he calls it a mystery, not because it's still a mystery. A mystery in the New Testament is something that in time past was hidden, but is now made known. He said, it's now time to declare what God has planned all along for the salvation of mankind. And his desire is not... Paul does not say, you pray for me that I'll have personal safety. I believe Paul probably wanted to have personal safety. But that was not his primary prayer request, was it? And you pray for me that uh, my income will increase. Paul had financial needs, but that wasn't his prayer request. He said, I have one thing I really want you to pray for me. I'm a preacher of the gospel, and so I want you to pray for me to be able to preach the gospel. Does that sound funny? Why would you? If you're called to be a preacher of the gospel, then just go out and preach it. How many of you know that in trying to get the gospel to unbelieving world, it doesn't just happen like that? See what it does for me. If you're not facing opposition, there's probably something wrong along the line somewhere. If we preach false gospels, you can preach those all day. Paul said, I am endeavoring to obey God and preach the gospel. But again, I want us to notice what he doesn't pray for. Praying for me always, with all prayer and supplication, and for me. He said, my number one prayer, prayer request is this, that utterance may be given unto me. I'm asking you to pray for me that God would open a door for me to preach and help me open my mouth to do it. Pray for me that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. So he's he's very, very specific in his prayer request. He said, I want you to pray for me that I will preach the gospel with confidence and with clarity. I'm asking you to pray for me. I'll preach the gospel with confidence and with clarity. When I pray for our missionaries, a very practical message this morning, one of the things I pray, especially, of course, for the men, uh, as I focus on praying for them, I pray for their, spurs, their, their, their personal spiritual strength and well-being, their ability to overcome temptations in this life. But I pray for them that God would give them opportunities to preach the gospel and that God would give them boldness in preaching the gospel. Because guess what? That's why our missionaries are on the field, to preach the gospel. They're not there to establish Americanism in other countries. We understand that? They're there to preach the gospel. Now, let's put that here. This church was established by another church, and they sent my wife and I out here in our family, and you know what to do? To preach the gospel. That remains my primary responsibility in this community. My responsibility to you, yes, preach the gospel, but preach to you how to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, but to preach the gospel. You know what? I praise God for the ability to preach the gospel on the radio to preach the gospel in the jail. I praise God that the gospel gets preached by many of you week after week after week, door to door, from one person to another. But you know what? This church exists to do is to preach the gospel here. And as we pray for our missionaries, we need to be reminded the primary goal of missions work is to preach the gospel to every creature. Any doctrine that begins to creep in to hinder that... One of the reasons you hear me mention by name Calvinism on a regular basis is, number one, because it's a false doctrine. And as it is represented in our day, even those who were Calvinists years ago wouldn't recognize some of the Calvinism of today. And I know nothing that kills zeal for evangelism more in our churches today, Bible-believing churches, than this heresy called Calvinism that says God is so sovereign that if you want your neighbor saved, he'll get him saved. And if you miss the opportunity, God may actually want him to go to hell. 
See, nobody would believe that. Oh, yeah, self-acclaimed theologians are preaching it all over our country today. <laughs> so one of the reasons I preach against Calvinism is because I want us to stay on point that the objective of missions is not to simply go and live in another place, but to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. That that's, our, that's the mission of a missionary, to clearly, plainly declare who Jesus is and what he lives to do. But Paul said, you pray for me. He didn't say, pray that the elect would come. He said, pray for me that I'll open my mouth and preach the gospel as I ought to. And so the objective of missions is found here. We can find it in another, a number of other places. Look at Acts chapter 16, if you would, with me. Acts chapter 16, verse 10. Much of today's message is a refresher course. We'll get into what I believe is the heart of it for us in a minute. This first point is quite introductory. Acts chapter 16, verse 10. Paul and his companions have been called into Macedonia. The Bible says in verse 9, A vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. Let me ask you something. If you had a vision of a man from another part of the country saying, Come help us, what would you assume they need help with? And what would you do to help them? Come over and help us. Well, let's go over and teach them how to handle money. Uh, let's go over and teach them how to uh, uh, how to build buildings. And let's go over... No, here's what Paul said in verse 10. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. Can I get very practical with you this morning? How many of you want to love your neighbor? And I'm talking about the person that lives down the road from you. You really do. You, you want to love them. Maybe we should pray what Paul prayed. Lord, give me utterance. Sometimes neighbors are hard to witness to. You know a little more about them than the guy behind the grocery, at the grocery counter. <laughs> a little harder. Maybe we should be praying, Lord, give me utterance that I may make known to them the mystery of the gospel with boldness. Now, what is boldness? You're a reprobate and deserve to go to hell. That's truth, but that's not boldness. That's probably rudeness. Boldness is not being bashful about the truth. How many times are we, are we prone to water down the truth because we know it's not going to land well? Or we'll say, well, eventually I want to get the gospel to them. Look, I find myself, I'm just going to be transparent with you, there's a temptation to have spiritual conversations without getting to the gospel. Now, let me ask you this. This is not a trick question, but I want you to think about it. What is the number one reason the gospel should be believed? Who said that? It's truth. Absolutely. That's the number one reason. We can go to people and say that the reason you need to believe the gospel, it'll make your life better. No, you need to believe the gospel because if you don't, you're going to perish. That's the truth. You know, I believe if men in the local jail will believe the gospel, it will transform them and make their lives better. But that's not the number one reason they need to believe it. They may believe it and die tomorrow. They need to believe it because it's true. And you and I need to be reminded that our neighbors need to hear the truth of Jesus Christ. And we need to pray along with Paul for... How many of you know this? Missionaries can get distracted from their purpose. They can get distracted. Being in jail can be distracting. <laughs> Losing your health can be distracting. Paul had all of that happen. He said, I want you to pray for me. And here's my prayer. That I'll stay on point with my objective. You know what Paul's saying? Pray for me that I'll fulfill Matthew 28, 19, and 20, Mark 16, and 15. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature... Pray for me that utterance may be given unto me. Then, verse 19 again, 
uh, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. That is a prayer that I may confidently preach the gospel. Uh, Again, a couple other verses just to to lock this point into our consciences. Romans chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. We know 16 very well. Romans 1, 15. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Well, I tell you, I read that verse. I, I wasn't even settled on this message this morning. I read my personal devotions. Romans 1 was in my personal devotions. I want us to think this morning, am I ashamed of the gospel of Christ? Are there times when I have an opportunity to tell someone about who the Lord Jesus Christ is, what he's done for them, what he can do for them, and I forego that opportunity because I am ashamed, afraid of what they'll think? Paul said, I'm ready. I'm ready to preach the gospel. In Ephesians chapter 6, he says, I'm ready to preach the gospel. Now, pray for me to have the opportunity. Pray for me to have the boldness. May I say this? There are those who would teach and preach. You know, live a life in front of people that makes them thirsty for God. Do that. But you'll notice in the Bible the term, they opened their mouth. Don't miss me this morning. The Philip, Bible says that Philip went down to the eunuch in the desert and he opened his mouth and preached unto him Jesus. I've heard other men say the gospel is not given uh, by, by some kind of, uh, of strange spiritual transfer. I live a godly life in front of people and they one day repent and say, what must I do to be saved? You have to open, we have to open our mouths. We have to actually get down to the business of telling people who the Lord Jesus Christ is. And, oh, friend, that ought to be our prayer. That's our objective. That's the objective of every New Testament church in our country today. It's the objective of every missionary on the field. We ought to pray for them and pray for us that we would keep our sights on what the Lord Jesus left us to do in this world. I'm afraid the distractions of the the political world over the last two or three years has caused us as God's people to forget our role and responsibility in the world. Fine, go vote, be salt, be light, but our job as churches is not to change the political face of the nation. Our job is to preach the gospel, and that would change a lot of things. And may I say this, then we need to practically go do it. And you say, it's hard, then let's make it a prayer request. Paul reminds us the objective of missions is the preaching that Jesus died for our sins according to the Scripture. He was buried, but He rose again according to the Scriptures the third day, and that He has power to save. The gospel is that we have a living Savior. That ought to thrill our souls. It ought to move us to say, oh God, help me to boldly, confidently, not with apology, eh, not with shame, not considering the unbelief of others, but the truth of the message we hold. Preach it with boldness. First Timothy chapter 2, verse 7. I'll read this. You don't have to turn there. First Timothy chapter 2, verse 7. The Bible says, uh, in verse 6, "...who gave himself a ransom for all," speaking of our Lord and Savior, "...to be testified in due time." All right, don't miss that. Jesus gave himself a ransom for how many? All. And it does not say in your Bible, by insinuation or any other, all the elect. It says, for all. He tasted death for every man. Bible tells us in Hebrews, verse 7, whereunto I am ordained a preacher. And by the way, he's to be testified. His ransom is to be testified. It's we're to testify of it. Verse 7, whereunto I am ordained a preacher and an apostle. I speak the truth in Christ and lie not a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. 
See Paul's connection between his responsibility to preach the gospel and the prayers of God's people. This morning, we need to be reminded the objective of missions is the clear, confident utterance of the gospel. And whether that's on our part or praying for those who represent us in other places, we need to pray to that end. Lord, give brother so-and-so utterance. Give him an opportunity to preach the gospel. We have one missionary repeatedly because of the difficulty the country is in. Pray for me to have opportunity. You can't just walk out on the street corner and preach the gospel without going to jail and then shipping you back to the U.S. He says, you pray for me, pray for me, pray for me. Please pray that God will give me opportunities. You know what? He's seen souls saved. He is probably witnessing more in a closed country than the average Baptist church member in one that's wide open. Shame on us for that. (laughs) Amen? Because it's a burning heart's desire. I'm going to ask you this week, will you make it a prayer request in your own life? Would you ask somebody to pray for you? Would you pray for me this week to have the opportunity to give the gospel? And then when I have the opportunity to have the boldness to say it as it ought to be said. And that ought to be our prayer for one another, our prayer especially for those who represent us in other places. The objective of missions. Number two, the operation of missions is dealt with in these same verses. It's very simple, the operation of missions. Uh, Paul deals with the fact that it is a responsibility that had been given him, a commission placed upon him. And so then, the operation of missions, we're reminded it's a command. It's a commission. It's It's not an option. May I say this? Missions is not one of many ways to build a church. Missions is the only way for a church to do God's work. For us to preach the gospel and to support others through prayer and finances who preach the gospel. Paul says this again, verse 19, in in Ephesians chapter 6. Let me find my way back over there. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 19. He says, And for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. What's he saying? Verse 20. For which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. He would refer to himself and to us, really, in his labors together with him. In 2 Corinthians 5, he says, Now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though we did beseech you in God's stead, in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. We refers to himself as a preacher of the gospel, as an ambassador. What is an ambassador? Let's think through that for just a moment. Because in verse 20, he says, I'm an ambassador in bonds. So I am representing a foreign land, a foreign government in a strange land, and I've been imprisoned for my representation. An ambassador is someone who is selected by the authorities of one nation to represent that nation's interest in another nation. Amen? We are strangers and pilgrims on this earth. We need to remember that today. The little tune says, This world is not my home, I'm just passing through. Paul understood his relationship with the world. He says, I'm an ambassador. I have been selected from heaven to represent heaven's kingdom on earth. And that's what you and I are. We are not here to fit in. We are not here to be liked. Heaven has sent conditions of peace to earth to say, You can make peace with me if you concede to the truth that I have done all that's necessary to make you righteous. And if you will believe on my son, I'll pardon you and spare you the judgment you are due. That's the gospel. There's a message of forgiveness and deliverance. God is still on the throne. And his message of peace to sinners against him in this world is, you must believe on my son, Jesus Christ. Ambassadors are not in a foreign country, but for one purpose. And what is that? to represent the land from which they come. Now, they may have to learn the language so they can communicate with the people. Yes. 
They're going to have to learn the culture so they know how to uh, communicate the message of their, of their nation. But what happens? Can you imagine us sending an ambassador to Russia? And what do we call it when one of our ambassadors becomes loyal to a foreign country? They defect. There are people today who've been selected by heaven to represent heaven on earth, and we've defected. We become more engrossed with earth's interests than heaven's. Paul said, I want to remind you that the, uh, the, the operation of missions is that of a foreign country, heaven, being represented in a, in a foreign land where there's animosity. It'd kind of be like saying, you know what? Yeah, if I stood and said, folks, I'm, I'm done being a pastor. I've been tapped by the government to represent our country in a foreign land. Like, oh, pastor, where are you going? Germany or you know, Australia? No, I get to go represent us in Iran. Well, it's been nice knowing you. Right? It's kind of the way it is. The world, the Bible says in James 4, is at enmity with God. And what happens is we have to remember who we represent. Missions is God's people representing His interest on earth. Who's the prince of the power of the air here? Who's the God of this world? Satan is. That's why Paul was in bonds. He came and said, you folks here, you Jews and Gentiles alike, you got it all wrong. Your way has, is in transgression against God. He's going to come and you're going to have to give an account and you're not ready. And the only way for you to be pardoned by, by heaven's king is for you to repent and believe on his son Jesus Christ. And that message went over real well. <laughs> the outworking of missions is this, Paul says, I'm an ambassador. I have no loyalty to where I'm at. I love the people where I'm serving, but I represent heaven. I represent heaven's throne, heaven's message. He was an ambassador, as are we. Uh, he, he, would, he had been commissioned by God through a local church. May I remind you that? He had been in the church at Antioch teaching and serving and ministering to the Lord. And the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Paul and Barnabas, for the work whereunto I have called them. They realized you don't pick yourself to go represent God. God selects. He calls. He sends. He appropriates. And so then it's a commission given by Jesus Christ and, and specifically imparted to individuals by the Holy Spirit of God. The church was charged to separate Barnabas and Saul for that work. And so the operation of missions, it is a commission, something given to us by our heavenly authority to carry out on behalf of our king. Number two, it does require cooperation. Though Paul was the preacher and Barnabas had his side and later Silas had his side, we understand that the church at Antioch did have to send them. Not only do we understand that, multiple churches worked together to keep Paul going in preaching. The work and the operation of missions, it is a command from heaven, but no one person can carry it out by themselves. No one church can carry it out by themselves. Do you realize churches that Paul planted later supported him in carrying out the work of missions? He planted the church at Philippi, and they sent to his needs financially once and again. So the operation of missions, we must understand. I'm trying to help us understand that some of the things that are going on, this is the way God wants it done. God says, I want these people to go. Maybe they're called out of another church. They come through here, and they share with us how the Holy Spirit of God uh, worked in their life to separate them to a ministry in a certain place at a certain time. And we say, you know what? We'll cooperate with you and help get this accomplished. Look at Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15, verses 30 and 31. The Bible says this, Paul, again, uh, beseeching brethren for uh, co-laboring. He says, Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit that you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me that I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea and that my service which I have 
uh, for Jerusalem may be accepted of the saints. What's he say? Strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. It's the same thing he's saying in Ephesians 6. He says, I have a work to do. Now, Paul ministered in a very unique way. Most missionaries today cannot minister the same way Paul did because Paul, Paul had some advantages as far as that goes. He was an unmarried man. He could move about a little more. He didn't have to, uh, he wasn't pastoring one church. He was establishing many, and some do their work that way. But the fact of the matter is, he says, I have a personal commission, but we understand today the work of missions. The reason we have other preachers in, uh, the reason we sent the kings to go visit other churches is churches of like faith must cooperate together. Paul says, I need you cooperating with me to pray for me. Here's where I'm at. What if we let our prayer life slack? Does that have anything to do with the furtherance of the gospel in Liberia? Does it have anything to do with Bible sitting in Port in Nigeria? Does it have anything to do with the furtherance of the gospel in Williams Lake, British Columbia? Oh, absolutely. Our prayers are God-ordained to be part of the work of missions and furthering the gospel. I can't go plant a church in Riverside, California and pastor in Bonners Ferry at the same time. But we can pray for Brother Ward and his wife as they raise support to go. Just reminding us some of the fundamentals about how the work of missions took place in the Bible and it still takes place today. It is a command to be fulfilled. But what the great Apostle Paul says is, I can't do this without you. I must have your prayers. You must strive together with me in prayer to God for me so that the work can go forward. I hope and trust, especially if you're a member here, that you have a habit of praying for our missionaries. I hope you have the habit of praying for your pastor. I understand I'm a pastor, but I still do the work of missions. I need prayer. There are days I'm tempted to cower out and not say what I ought to say. I need your prayer. And while God calls maybe one or two to actually be the preachers, I mean, I just understand we each have a part to play. The operation of missions, it's a command and commission, but it requires cooperation of brethren inside the local church. We have to cooperate with each other. We have to work together. How many know Jesus never, as far as I can tell, never sent a man out by himself to go preach the gospel? I can't find one instance. I find one time he sent them out in teams of two to different cities, 70, divided up into 35 teams and sent them out by twos. How many know that Paul was never for any length of time alone? He's always, Luke wrote the entire narrative of Acts. So very short periods of time, Paul might be alone. You say, what does that tell us? The work of the furtherance of the gospel must be done together. For men who go door to door, how many would rather go alone or go with somebody? I want somebody with me. I need somebody with me. It keeps me sharp, keeps me bold. Uh, They fill in the gaps where I let off. Uh, God knows what he's doing. The work of missions requires unity. It does. But we unify around the fact we have a command. And so then we must work individually with each other inside the local church, and then local churches must work and cooperate with one another for it to go forward. Now this brings us probably to the heart of the message. The objective of missions, confident, clear preaching of the gospel. The operation, it's a commission that requires cooperation. The opposition to missions. This entire text is filled with, we have a commission to go preach the gospel to every creature, ask you to pray. Look, if there weren't opposition, there wouldn't need to be prayer. Amen? I'm asking you to pray that I'll be able to do the simple thing of boldly and clearly proclaiming the gospel message without distraction, without hindrance, without confusion. And so then the objective and the operation bring about the truth of the opposition. Look at verse 20 again. He says, for which, what? For what's he talking about? Preaching the gospel boldly. For which I am an ambassador in bonds. Very hard to preach the gospel in the synagogue when you're tied up in jail. 
He said, the very thing I'm asking you to pray for, I've received opposition. My message has not been well received and I've been locked up. May I say, what were physical bonds in Paul's day, and there are still physical bonds all over the world. In the United States of America, physical bonds for preaching the gospel are not politically correct. So we find bonds other ways. We find other ways to silence and seal up the clear declaration of the gospel. Red tape and regulation can be a way to seal up the gospel. Do you realize there was a time in America you could preach the gospel in any public school? What a wretched institution that will let anything in but the Bible. Preach! Amen! What what is wrong with an institution in America that says... Everything is welcome here. You can teach that we evolved from apes or fish or mud or whatever you want. You can teach that men are women and women are men. But that Bible now, that is too offensive. There was a day when you could preach the gospel in the public schools of America. May I say this? In the Philippines today, you can go preach the gospel in schools in the Philippines or in Belize or in Bolivia and Nigeria, but not in the U.S. Binding preachers. Through political red tape. You know what we can do? Say, what a shame. Or we could pray and say, God, break down those barriers. Amen? Do you think we ought to pray that way? The gospel is opposed. We have a tendency to think in America it's not opposed. I'll tell you how you can figure out where it's opposed. Tell me where you're not allowed to preach it. What, what the God-haters are working on is we want to make sure the only place you can preach the gospel is inside a church building. And then we want to make sure you can't preach it there. The only place you can preach is in jail. <laughs> Say, no, pastor. Oh, yes. There are those who hate the gospel, not because they know it's not true, because they know it is, and it offends them. So what do we need to do? Get angry at them and start political movements. And No. What does Paul say the solution to his opposition was? Pray. Now, if God, if you pray and God says, now do this, well, by all means, do it. I believe we ought to use every advantage we have as U.S. citizens to keep the gospel doors open. Amen? I do. But not instead of prayer, but because of prayer. Prayer must be first. It must be our primary tool in this battle. And Paul says in the context of verse 20, don't miss what he's just said prior to all of this. He, he comes into praying for him by saying, finally, brethren, finally, brethren, put on the whole armor of God. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Why do you need strength? Because of opposition. Let me ask you something. Do you believe that there is literally people who would like to see the message that this church puts in print and over the airwaves and house to house silenced? Do you think that's true in this community? Yes, of course. Of course there is. So it is very important for us to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Why? Because we have an objective. The clear, confident preaching of the gospel. Paul, verse 20, Paul, it's really his conclusion of verses 10 through 18. He says there's a battle to stand. You see, when churches fold, the gospel ceases to be preached. Let me ask you something. Let's just get, I'm gonna, again, we're very practical. Today, any given day in Bonner's Ferry, twice a day on our local radio station, the Bible's going to be read. Whether a one-minute or a three-minute spot, somebody's going to hear about the truth of God's Word, and almost always it's going to be centered around the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's going to be a Bible truth. How many thousands of tracts do you think have gone over this community this year that tell people how to be saved? How many people in this community at least know how to be saved because they received a tract or John and Romans from someone in this church? In the jail, we have hundreds of inmates who've heard the gospel, clear preaching of the gospel. Now, if Bonner's Ferry Baptist Church folds, 
because we compromise. By the way, generally churches don't fold overnight. They do it over a decade or over a five-year period because we don't stand. If member by member we lose our interest in the things of God, member by member we make little concessions with our flesh in the world until finally the church goes, you say, are you threatening the church would close? No, I'm saying any church can fall and fold. And if she does, where are the inmates going to hear the gospel? Oh, somebody will get it to them. Will they? Who's preaching the gospel in Sandpoint this morning? There's one or two maybe. But no church is proclaiming it. Not, I mean, somebody may be giving some form. Where can folks go this morning and assemble and know they're going to hear a clear presentation of the gospel over in Troy this morning? Clear presentation that challenges them to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Who is giving the gospel to their neighbors in Libby and Troy other than some of you who live here and attend church here? Let's just go on. You go on down the road and you think of town after town after town after town in our own country. Who's spreading the light? You want to know the significance of a church standing? Just remove it and see what happens. Can I say that's why darkness is starting to prevail in our land? Because churches have failed to do what? Stand. Meaning find your position and refuse to move. You can call that a fundamentalist. You can call it whatever you want to. But once you know the truth, don't change your mind about it. Stand. The gospel is still by grace, not by works. Amen? The Bible is still inerrant and infallible. I never find one reference in the scripture of any preacher of God criticizing the written word. Not one. Then why are preachers today so prone to criticize it? Stand. God still calls us to holiness, not to not corrupt living. We need to stand. Does this have anything to do with the furtherance of the gospel? Everything. Paul says, I need to be preaching the gospel. I need you to have my back and pray for me, so stand. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on most of the armor of God and you'll be okay. We cherry-pick the armor. We cherry-pick the armor. No, Paul said, if you're going to be safe, you're going to stand. You've got to put on the whole armor. I'll say this again. I've said it before. When God told us how to live in this world, he did not provide us a cave to hide in. He provided us armor to stand in. Think of the difference. God did not call us to join Redoubt and go hide in the hills. I'm going to get in trouble. He called us to go out into the world in the armor and stand in the middle of a world that's in adversity against God, that's in, that is in opposition to God. He didn't say go hide from the enemy. He said go confront them with the truth, but you better put your whole armor on. Helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness. If you've got sin in your life this morning, it's going to bring you down. If you're not doing right, it's going to bring you down. You're living in sin, you cannot continue in sin without it destroying you spiritually. If you're saved, it won't steal your salvation, but it will ruin your life. It could result in the removal of you from, from this life. The breastplate of righteousness, the loins girt about with truth, not questions. Too many a Bible program today does nothing but leave questions in people's minds more than answers. You with me? People get on the about the radio. They have roundtable discussions about what the Bible might mean. Hey, look, we can know what the Bible means because God said it and He gave us His Spirit. You shouldn't leave your Bible with questions. You should leave with answers. So that today, put on the having your loins go about with truth, not confusion. Having on your feet the preparation of the gospel of peace. You know, the best way to prepare for going out in that world is make sure when you leave here today, you're in complete agreement with God and that you have the gospel ready to give to somebody else. Above all, taking the shield of faith, trust what God says. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God.
How many of us in this room are supposed to do this, put on the whole armor of God? How many Christians? All. How much of the armor? All. You say, Pastor, I don't want our church to falter. I don't want to ill affect our missionaries. You might do well to read Ephesians 6, 10 through 18, study it, and say, am I doing my part? Am I prepared to give the gospel? So I don't know. Here's what most people say. I don't know very much Bible. So you know what the answer is? Don't give the gospel. Newsflash. Learn the Bible. I'm not trying to be sarcastic. Why do we not think of what we should do? Well, because I'm not real familiar with the Bible, I just, I don't feel comfortable giving the gospel. Well, turn the TV off and open the Bible. Study the Bible. Memorize the Bible. Quote the Bible. <laughs> Amen? Ah, my point is this. you got to have the sword in your hand to use it. The breastplate of righteousness. We can't continue to live in sin, doing what God says not to do, and expect not to fall. No, put on the whole armor of God, the helmet of salvation. Know with certainty you've been saved. And put that assurance on, knowing that Christ is the Savior and not you. I'm just saying this. God says the way to stand so that I can continue to further the gospel, He doesn't even ask them to pray until He first challenges them to stand. You know what I think He's saying? Make sure you're on praying ground. Then pray. Do you realize if we're not on praying ground, our prayers are hitting the ceiling and coming right back down? If I regard iniquity in mine heart, the Lord will not hear me. If I'm continuing to live in a manner of life that God has told me very clearly in His Word not to, don't think your prayers are being answered. No, not on the authority of God's Word. If we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. Paul says, let me challenge you, Ephesian church. I need you to have my back and pray for me that I may fulfill the operation of missions and the objective of missions, but there's opposition, so you've got to put on the whole armor and be a strong church so that together we can strive to further the gospel. I am not so interested in what our grace giving or faith promise, whatever you want to call it, is going to be next year. I am more concerned, are we going to be in spiritually a place to continue to support spiritually our missionaries and to continue to do what God told us to do? I'm more concerned about our spiritual assets than I am our financial ones. And if financial assets are a replacement of spiritual assets, we will not stand. If I'm involved financially, but I will not get involved in the battle spiritually, will not stand. Paul never mentioned money in Ephesians 6, talking about missions. Do you realize that? He never mentioned money. The money is an afterthought when we are spiritually where we're supposed to be. God knows how to provide for His own. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Amen? Amen. So the op- opposition to missions, there's a battle to stand. In verse 20, you find the binding of the servant. How many know that at times we find our missionaries bound up, not able to fulfill what they've been called and given to do? You find missionaries that get stalled in the work, the forward progress of preaching the gospel. There's opposition. Paul said, for which I'm an ambassador in bonds. How many times was he in bonds? I mean, physically, they said, you know what? We can't get this guy to shut up. We've stoned him. We've beat him. All I know to do is put him in a hole where nobody can hear him. (laughs) They bound him and put him in prison. And Paul might have said, you know what? I've done everything I can do. I've preached and been beaten. I've preached and been stoned. And by and by, I'm in prison. I now can say with a good conscience, I did my best. I'm done. I mean, this would fault Paul for saying that. He is sitting in prison in prison for doing what God called him to do. And he said, here's my prayer. Pray that I can keep doing it even though I'm in bonds. 
There was never a point where he said, now's the time to stop preaching the gospel to the unsaved. Now, hear me. I know of pastors today who say, we don't really try to aggressively go after people and give the gospel because when we do, they think we're part of a cult. So we're going to stop doing that. We're not going to, you know, and look, I'm not mocking because I could do the same thing. We could reason ourselves. When will come the point where we say, we've done all we can do. If they die and go to hell, let them do it. <laughs> Never. That's not, Paul is in bonds and he says, I've been bound. I'm telling you to stand. But then he beseeches them to be steadfast, that the work may continue he doesn't pray. I said this in preaching it where the other place I preached it. If you were in prison for preaching the gospel, what would be your number one prayer request? I mean, come on. That would be mine. I am in jail for doing what God called me to do. Please pray I get out as soon as possible. That's not what he asked prayer for. Please pray for a change of venue. Pray for a change of circumstances. What's he say? He said, I'm in bonds. But he says, pray for me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Now, if you've been beaten and imprisoned for preaching the gospel, the temptation would be to do what? Stop. That's the whole point. Our adversary is an intimidator. He wants to cause us fear so that we'll stop. How much witnessing do you think stopped in 2020 because of COVID? I'm not talking about necessarily, I, I know organized efforts stopped. But for many, that was the excuse that was being looked for already. And I'm not here, I'm not here to cast, I'm not here to disparage anybody. That's a temptation for anybody. But if we're looking for an excuse to stop fulfilling our responsibility to preach the gospel, we'll find it. And what I find with Paul was not, I'm not looking for a reason to stop. I'm in bond, but would you pray that I would not succumb to the intimidation, but that even in bonds I would make known the mystery of the gospel as I ought to. What's he say? As I ought to. The gospel can only be preached one way, and that's with boldness, with confidence. And so there's opposition. We see that in the battle to stand, the binding of the servant, but then he beseeches them to be steadfast and request that his work may continue, not stop. And then finally, the outcome of missions. Look at 2 Timothy 2, verse 9. We're almost done. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9. Paul says this back in verse 7. Consider what I say, and the Lord give the understanding in all things. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead, according to my gospel, wherein I suffer trouble. I'm preaching the gospel, and it causes me trouble. As an evildoer, even unto bonds. But what's he say next? But the word of God is not bound. He said they put one preacher in jail, but the word of God can continue to go forward. You can't bind God's word. Now let's look at that in conjunction with that to Philippians chapter 4, verse 22. And I believe we have an explanation of what Paul means when he says the word of God is not bound. Philippians chapter 4, verse 22. He says this, verse 20. Now unto God and our Father be glory, by, uh, be glory forever and, and ever. Amen. Salute every saint in Christ Jesus, the brethren which are with me. I'm in the wrong place. That is not where I wanted to be. Philippians 4. Let me back up just a little bit. I put the wrong verse number. It says, um, verse, oh, forgive me. Let's see here. I know where I'm trying to go. It's not Philippians chapter 4. I've written my reference down wrong. Give me a moment. 
I'm going to find it. Bible, Paul talks about the things that happened to him had fallen out rather to the furtherance of the gospel. And if I'm looking past this because I'm looking too fast, you have to forgive me. But he talks about the fact that things that happened to him had happened rather to the furthering of the gospel and that many had waxed bold by his bonds in the gospel. And so I've, I've written it down wrong so I don't have the right reference for you. But the fact of the matter is his prayer was answered in the fact that he was imprisoned, but his imprisonment did not mean the ceasing of the work of the furtherance of the gospel, but rather that the gospel was furthered by his bonds. Now, if you would, Philemon. This is where I do want to end. Philemon, verse 10. Remember what his prayer request to the Ephesians was. He told them to stand, pray for him that utterance may be given, had said in Second Timothy that though he was bound, the word of God was not bound. And in that light, how many of us are familiar enough with the little book of Philemon to know what's taking place there? A man named Onesimus had been saved under the ministry of Paul. But how many of us know where Paul and Philemon met each or Paul and Onesimus met each other? In prison. Paul was in prison in Rome, and while a prisoner in Rome, he met a man named Onesimus. So Paul is bound. And in his bondage, he meets a man named Onesimus. And Paul remembering, my objective has not changed. My operation hasn't changed. And he had prayed and asked for prayer. You pray for me that utterance may be given, that I may preach the gospel with boldness. Paul had been in prison many times. So I just want us to generally apply the truth that while in prison, because he kept his eye on the commission he had been given, instead of using his affliction, using his bondage as a reason to stop giving the gospel. He said, no, the objective didn't change. My circumstances have changed. My surroundings have changed. But my objective is still the same. I must give the gospel. While in bonds, he preached the gospel to a man named Onesimus, and Onesimus got saved. Now, let me ask you this. That's, I know of at least two occasions that Paul led someone to the saving knowledge of Christ while in prison for the gospel. And I'm going to give you the application for us this morning in just a moment. Finally, in verse 10, Paul says this, I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds. Now, I mentioned a few minutes ago COVID. Now, COVID has become synonymous with all that's taking place in our country and around the world with restrictive actions. What happens if governments begin to say, these are the criteria you must meet to assemble for church? If I'd said that to you three years ago, you'd say, boy, that's, that's probably going to come someday. How much more realistic is that today? There are churches in Canada that have been told, you cannot meet for church until we tell you. Now, it's been going on for a long time. There are churches in, in Europe today. We, I read a, a, yesterday, I was talking to Mike about it just a little bit ago. There are people that are in certain parts of Europe, they can't buy, sell, or trade without a passport. <laughs> Do you think that doesn't affect church? So if that happens to us, then the days of preaching the gospel are now ended. No. Our objective is the same. It's still a commission. It still requires cooperation. And though we have opposition, we must still engage in what the Lord told us to do till he comes. And so must our missionaries. The bondage being placed upon us and around us is not an out. It's a means for prayer. Friends, our missionaries need prayer today more than they've ever needed it. Some of them are being told. Some of them are in places this morning. They're being told, you cannot assemble for church because of COVID. What I'm trying to say is this. We learn from the Word of God that when the circumstances that are advantageous for the furtherance of the gospel go away, the commission does not change. We still have a resp- We have been so blessed in this country to be able to engage in the preaching of the gospel and send missionaries 
without much obstruction. But when the obstruction comes, we still have a job. And we need to be like Paul and say, well, when there's opposition, we need to gird up our loins and stand and pray for God to give us utterance, not out of the opposition, but in the midst of it. Does that make sense this morning? The furtherance of the gospel does have opposition. Let it start right in your life. Are, are there things in your life that are causing you to not stand? Examine that armor. You have assurance of your salvation? Are you preparing yourself to give the gospel? Are you girding your mind up with the truth? Are you filling your mind with truth? May I say this? If you're spending hours a day listening to the news, you're not filling your mind with truth. Fill your mind with the word of God. Am I ready with the sword of God's word to face temptation? Am I trusting what God says? Am I putting on the breastplate of righteousness? Or am I living in some sin? Do you have your armor on? That's the first thing you can do in a practical way to help with the furtherance of the gospel. And then the second thing you do is say, as far as I know I'm girded up, then let's pray. Pray not for necessarily a change in circumstances, but boldness and courage and wisdom and opportunity to preach the gospel. How many of you think if you'd ask the Lord this week personally for an opportunity to give the gospel, he'd give you an opportunity? Oh, yes. How many of you think that our prayers are necessary for our missionaries to continue? It is not a time for our missionaries to stop their work, but they certainly do need our prayers to continue.